Today we began a brand new series, uh, One Minute After You Die. And so over the next six weeks, we are going to talk about things that maybe you, you're curious about. What happens to the person that you love? What happens to their spirit after they die? What are they doing right now? What is that person doing what are they capable of doing? Are they able to look in? Or can they see you right now worshiping today at Grace Community? Do they mourn and do they weep? Are they concerned? Are they able to go to Jesus and still have memories of earth? Like someone that's passed and moved on, that's with Christ. Do they still remember you as their brother, your sister, your mom, dad, maybe an aunt or uncle or sibling? Do they still carry the memories of earth to heaven? Is it possible to look down at earth and see a sin-filled earth as a person in heaven that we understand right now without, how is that possible to look and not have thoughts of things that would cause you to cry or mourn? Do people mourn and weep once they pass on? Do they still remember relationships? Are they able to go to Jesus as soon as they pass? And what happens then? Do they go to him and say, hey, I have a brother down there. I have a sister. I have a a mom and a dad. I have a, a child. And Jesus, would you take care of this? Do the memories go with them? What happens at the rapture? A word that we talk about and you've heard. When does that happen? Are we close to it? Could the rapture occur today? Is it possible that the things that we see in our world? Could it happen before the election this year? What happens to those that, that don't know Christ? Like, is there really a literal place called hell? Would, would a, a loving God create a place called hell that people spend eternity in? How could a, a loving God create a place that people spend eternity forever and ever and ever burning in fire? Is there such a thing as reincarnation? Can people die and then come back? Is, is there a second chance? Is, is there a thing called purgatory? Like, I've heard that there's purgatory. Like, can, can I pray really hard and give to the church and, and the person has a second chance after they die? Can, can they then make it to heaven? Is there still hope for someone that never trusted in Jesus Christ to make it to heaven? What's the millennial reign? And do we really ride on horses? Come back with Jesus at the Battle of Armageddon? I mean, is it real horses or are they Harley Davidsons? <laughs> What's the Bible have to say about it? The Bible gives us all kinds of good truth. Load it with truth. And my hope is this over the next six weeks. We're going to unpack Piece by piece, we're going to look at hell. We're going to look at heaven. We're going to look at the rapture. We're going to look at judgments that we have as Christians. How is that different than the judgment of someone who doesn't know Christ? Does it really matter how we live today? Like, once I'm saved, I'm saved. Just make it. Does it matter if I, if I live for Christ and love my wife and love my kids and serve in the Lord? Does it matter if I come to Grace Community and all I do is sit week after week and I never serve? Does the person who sits and serves different than the person who sits and doesn't serve? Does that matter in eternity? You bet it does. And I'm going to show you over the next six weeks how this all unfolds. I'm also going to encourage you to do this, because I know this to be true. You won't remember all this. And how the Lord works, there's no doubt in my mind over the next couple weeks, you're going to have people coming to you and asking questions. 
and you have a chance to take notes today and write down scriptures that you can go back to and say, here, here, here's what the Bible says. So I encourage you, if you haven't been a note taker, this is probably the chance to take notes. And at the end of this message, we're going to have a quiz. So no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. All of a sudden that panic was like sitting in a classroom, like you got a number two pencil with the eraser. <laughs> so truly think about this. The decisions you make on this side of death impact your eternity. Grab your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, put one in your hand. We have ushers that have Bibles in their hands and they'll give you one. And turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And we're going to open up this account today and take a close look at what happens on the other side. Luke chapter 16, and we're going to read verses 22 to 31. Now, as you're turning there, this first message today, I'm going to give you a synopsis of the other side, and then I'm going to draw this timeline called the eschatological timeline, big word for future things. And then I'm going to pull away at the last part of this message, and I'm going to say, this is what is happening right now with someone that you loved that has passed on. This is what they're able to do. This is what they're able to see. This is how God has created this path for them. So Luke chapter 16, we're going to read actually verses 19 to 31. Would you stand with me and let's read this out loud together. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Read it with me. Ready, read. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. You may have a seat. Let me just give you the snapshot, the big points of this passage, and then I'm going to give you this timeline, and then I'm going to unpack what happened to that person that passed that you know? What are they doing? What will you do? First, we see from this passage, I want to give some clarity because it's important. We see that there's two places that people go to. There's a place called Hades, 
That's fiery. Now, let me give you an explanation of what Hades is. And we're going to talk about it in the weeks to come. We're going to talk about Hades and hell. Hades is eventually thrown into the lake of fire. Hades is a, a place where people who don't know Christ go, has, the, has fire, has worms. It's a place that we understand eventually as hell. We also know that there's another place that's mentioned here called Abraham's side. Some of you might have been raised with a King James Bible and you've heard the term Abraham's bosom. It's the same place where Jesus is on the cross and the thief on the cross responds to Jesus and he says, today I will, you will be with me in what? Paradise. Paradise, Abraham's side, is the same place. Eventually, those places end up in what we understand as the eternal state called new heaven and new earth. So for sake of terminology that I think is a better terminology, when someone dies, I'm going to refer who knows Christ, they're in what we would call the intermediate heaven, which eventually becomes the eternal state of the new heaven and new earth. We also see that angels transport the souls and the spirits of people when they die. We see two different kinds of conditions. One, there's agony there, torment. He's in fire. He's so thirsty that he just asks, can you send him over so that he can dip his finger in just one drop of water and touch my tongue? And it's impossible, scripture shows us, because there's this great chasm between these two places. The places of, of, we would understand as eventually hell and heaven. We also know this, which is very important, because we have some people out there would say that when a person dies, there's this annihilation view, that once you die, you lived on earth, that's it, you're done. Like there's no place called hell. But we see from this passage, and I'm going to show you from other passages, that there's a consciousness, because he's able to communicate to Father Abraham. He's able to know that he's in pain. He's able to know that he has five brothers that he doesn't want to come here. And he's in agony and torment. Meanwhile, Lazarus, as we understand in this passage, is being comforted. Complete opposite. We also see from this passage that there's a longing to reach others and spare them. The irony in this is it's the unsaved guy in hell that has a longing for someone to go back to his five brothers. I often I read that and I wonder why. Because here's why I believe that. Because I believe there was probably someone that told him when he was alive that there's this place called hell and make sure you trust in Jesus. And all of a sudden, he had a recollection of that truth on earth and realized they were right. I don't want my brother. There was this compassion for his own family. There was a longing to see others, to be spared. There was a longing to be comforted, but they couldn't be comforted. The rich man couldn't be comforted. Please take your finger and just dip it in some water and just put it on my tongue. And here's the reality. For the rest of eternity, this person will burn in the fiery flames of hell. We know from this passage that there are no second chances. Because the 
Reference shows there's this great chasm. You can't go from one to the other and the other can't go there and you can't send anyone to go to them. And so the picture is there's this divide that takes place. Once you die, listen to me, there are no second chances. There is not a place called purgatory. Hear me out. If we believe that, then we would say that the work of Christ on the cross isn't sufficient enough for us. That somehow we need something else to save us. Somebody's prayer, someone giving to the church. I understand the Bible to say that it's through the substantary blood and the work of Christ alone that saves us. Not someone praying us to get there. Not someone giving to the church. It's by grace through faith that we're saved. The only thing that you and I have to offer for our salvation is our sin. And any good work that we ever do is only by the grace of Jesus working through us. Let me also say this from this passage that I know to be true. Dead people can't get to living people on earth and communicate with them. Now, let me just pull aside and and, and be your pastor and your shepherd. Hear me out on this. Way too many people toil in astrology. Way too many people know their sign. And somehow you read it in the paper and you think, oh, look, there's my sign. I'm, I'm a Capricorn. I'm, a, I'm an Aquarius. I'm a Sagittarius. I'm, I, you know, look, look, this is going to happen to me. Listen to me. That is the work of the devil. Did you hear me? It's the work of the devil. People ask me what my sign is. My sign is the cross of Jesus Christ. And he saved me. And the promises that I need to read about, I don't need to read by an astrologer. I need to read it through the word of God. His promises you can bank on, not what someone writes in the paper. Don't listen to the, 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 the falsehoods that we know. Let me just pull away and be your shepherd again. Don't dare ever as a Christ follower say, hey, let's go to a palm reader. Hey, you want to go? We're on vacation. There's a palm reader. Let's go and let him read our palm and innocently walk in. You have walked into the devil's foothold for you. Never consult a medium. Never consult a spiritist. Let me just pull away again and be your shepherd. Don't as a parent, don't as an adult, ever visit a haunted house. Oh, Pastor Jim, it's Halloween. They're just, they're makeup and, and it's just, they want to scare you. And I go, there's a noose and they're hanging this guy by the noose and they got this, this, these ghosts. You are playing in the enemy's battlefield. How do I know we shouldn't go and visit and consult a medium? Let's just see what the word of God says. Open up your Bibles and please, please hear me. You should have this underline. Isaiah chapter eight. What does God's word say regarding spiritists and mediums and palm readers and astrologists and astrology, I should say. Look at Isaiah chapter eight. And I want you to look at this and I want you to to read it with me. And I, I want you to see how important this is. Isaiah chapter eight and verse 19 and 20. Look what it says. It says, when someone tells you to consult what? What's the word? Mediums and what? All right, come on. You got to help me out. You need to go to this passage. Isaiah chapter eight. This is so important. You should have your own Bible in your hand. Isaiah chapter eight, 
verses 19 and 20. It says, when someone tells you to consult mediums and what? Spiritists. Who what? What's it say? Whisper and what? Should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the what? On behalf of the what? Consult God's what? Which is the word of God and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no lights of dawn. There are people who have written tons of information on this. And I want to give you great, great insight from a great, great man of God who has studied this subject. And I just want you to hear what he has to say regarding ghosts, regarding how do people speak. You know, maybe, maybe you've heard this and maybe you've been a person that has read that there's these things called haunted houses. Is it truly? Can there really be a haunted house? Are there real things called ghosts? Do ghosts really live? I mean, is it true when someone says, when I walked into that house, don't go to that house because it's haunted. There's ghosts. Is that truly something? Or is that just somebody making up something? Well, listen to this author's understanding of that. He says, this ability of demonic spirits to masquerade as the personality of the dead helps us to understand haunted houses. While I was staying in a hotel near Calgary, a local newspaper carried a story saying that there were at least two ghosts in the beautiful building. One of the employees showed us a marble staircase where one of the ghosts lived, verified by the testimony of employees. A new bride had stumbled down the stairs years ago and hit her head, resulting in her death. We were told that her spirit now lives on the stairs, appearing with some regularity. How do we explain this phenomenon? When a person who is inhabited, unsaved, by evil spirits dies, these demons need to relocate. Often they choose to stay in the place where the death took place. He says this seems particularly true in the case of violent deaths such as murder or suicide. They will take the name and characteristic of the deceased person and make occasional appearances under these pretenses. Such entities, as they are frequently called today, are evil spirits who often pose as friendly ghosts. To try to contact the dead is to invite fellowship with the hosts of darkness pretending to be helpful angels of light. All that to say this, the word of God tells us in 2 Corinthians, I have it down here, 11, verses 13 and 14, that the enemy masquerades himself as an angel of what? Light. Deceiving, trying to deceive us. Now, let me just tell you something. He might come and his demonic spirits might come and speak and they, it might sound really good, and they'll say, hey, I can talk to your sister. I've heard from them in, in heaven. And so these people rush to these spiritists because their hearts are broken and they're hurting. And so they go and they want to hear from. And we, there are stories of people, they've been sitting in front of their TVs and they hear this voice. 
their, their mom or their dad or, or, or something else. And, and, and in some cases, unsaved people. And they say, I've, I've heard from them. Listen to me. That is the enemy masquerading himself. And before you know it, he will have a foothold in someone's life. The Bible says, don't consult. If you need to consult, consult the instructions of God's word. And that's what we're doing today. And by the way, all the information one needs to be saved has already been given. You must make that decision before you die. Now back to haunted houses. Christians, listen to me. You might think it's nothing. My wife and I, as we have raised our children, we have never let them walk in a haunted house. Never. As the father, the gatekeeper, the protector of my family, my responsibility is is to ward off evil. And if you think that the enemy would not walk into what we call fun haunted houses and expose and reveal himself, you are believing a lie from the pit of hell. It's the open battleground for him to operate and work in. I want to give you a big picture now. That's that passage. I'm going to give you the big picture, and then I'm going to close out the message, taking substantial time and saying, this is what's happening right now to a loved one. This is what's happening to someone that's passed. So let me give you a big picture here. What we would understand, I'm I'm going to call the eternal state, moving from the intermediate heaven to the eternal state. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. This is foundation, and, and it's good to look at it again. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. This is a passage that needs to be on your forefront. You should have it either highlighted in yellow on your mobile device, or you should have it underlined in your Bible. And if you're a purist, just put it on your notepad today. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. Look what it says, and you can please help me with this. We'll read this together. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. Ready, read. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So a person dies. Let me just pause a second. The minute someone breathes their last breath, they go what we understand and face the faith judgment. And I'm going to explain the other judgments, the great white throne, the bimatos, the sheep and the goats. But when a person dies, their spirit soul leaves them. They are judged according to this. Does that person have faith in Christ alone? If they do, they go to Abraham's side. They go to paradise. They go to what I would call the intermediate heaven. If they don't, they go to, we would understand, Hades, which is eventually hell. So the first thing, you die once and then you face the judgment. So what happens after that? I actually have a timeline here that I want to just briefly give you an overview of. Take a look at this timeline. We have one up here and and, and one here. I will also pull away and say this. I'm a dispensationalist, which means I believe and we believe that God has ordered 
the timeline and economies of time that during different times, God has orchestrated and revealed himself. We were now in what I would call the church age. I will also say this. This is my understanding from scripture. This is what I believe to be true from scripture. I'm not here to argue it. I will show you in the weeks ahead why I believe it. But I am a pre-tribulationist. Here's what that means. I believe from scripture that when the rapture occurs, it pulls the church out and we don't walk through the seven years of tribulation. So my understanding is that that's why I'm presenting the timeline this way. You can see from this timeline that there's this thing called paradise. Jesus told the thief on the cross, he said, because you've trusted in me, today you will be with me in paradise. You can also see what we understand and we're going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ. It comes from 2 Corinthians 5.10. Judgment seat of Christ is the Greek word bimatos. It's where we get the bima seat. We are judged as Christians there, not for the things that we've done wrong, but the things that we've done for Christ. So we are walking along in this economy of time. The next event on our calendar is the rapture. And by the way, the rapture could occur today. It could happen before this church service is over. And let me pause and say this, please. If you don't know Jesus Christ, even right now, trust in him. Surrender your heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and he will save your soul. The rapture is the next event that takes place. And we're gonna, I'm going to unpack and tell you. After that is seven years of tribulation. At the end of the seven years of tribulation is a moment that takes place called the second coming of Christ. We're going to look at that. The second coming of Christ. It's all those who know Christ are going to come back with him on horses. And the battle of Armageddon soon takes place and Christ will literally destroy the world and we're part of all the evil of the world and we're part of that. However, right at the beginning of this, there's a period of time that begins called the millennial kingdom, 1,000 years. At the beginning of this, Satan is grabbed, he's chained, he's thrown and he's locked up during this millennial kingdom. At the end of the millennial kingdom, the thousand years, he's cut loose, he's ticked, he thinks he's going to take over the world, but he's not. Eventually, he is thrown into the lake of fire with the, with the false prophet and the beast. At the end of the thousand year reign, at the end of this time, there's a judgment that takes place called the great white throne judgment. I'm going to talk about that. That's for unbelievers. After all this is said and done, if your name is in the book of life, And after the judgment has taken place, all those who don't know Christ are thrown into what we will understand as the lake of fire, hell. Everyone else is pushed out into the eternal state, is how I'm referring, where where there's new heavens and a new earth. Let's unpack just a little bit about these, and over the weeks ahead, we will do more regarding those. Next on the timeline is the rapture. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is a verse that is powerful. And as Christ followers, this is one that we should know where to find. 
We can go to the word of God. How do you know that, Pastor Jim? We'll look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 16 through 18. It says this, Paul said, For the Lord himself will come down from where? Where's he coming down from? With a loud what? With the voice of a what? With the what call of God? And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the what? And so we will be with the Lord how long? Forever. Therefore, do what with these words? Encourage one another. Here's the picture. As we understand today, if the rapture were to occur at two o'clock this afternoon, by the way, I don't know that's going to happen. I'm not going to, I can't predict the future. God knows that date. But just suppose this afternoon at two o'clock, the rapture as we understand. The rapture is, is God reaching down, Jesus reaching down and pulling out, rapturing out believers, taking us from this earth and taking us, what we'd understand, to this intermediate heaven. So what happens is, it says the dead in Christ rise first. What's the dead in Christ? It's all the bodies. It's my dad's body that was buried in Leidersburg, Maryland, three weeks ago. It's his body. His body and the bodies of those who know Christ. Believers only. Their bodies are popped out of the grave. They're, it, no matter where their body parts are, they're collected and gathered. Let me just pull away, just sidebar. People have asked me many times, Pastor Jim, is it, is it proper and biblical for a Christian to cremate a body? Listen to me, absolutely yes. There's not a soul or a spirit in there. And if somehow, and this isn't said in, a, in, in trying to be sarcastic, if somehow these ashes were spread in a special place on a golf course in the ocean, at that moment of the rapture, God collects every single piece that formed that body. He ushers it up and it meets the soul spirit in the air. After that, it says this, those of us who are still alive, you and me, that are left, we get raptured out at the same time and we meet the Lord in the air. Then there's all these people who we say are left behind. Left behind, in my mind, as I understand scripture, are those who don't know Jesus Christ. So people have often asked me, Pastor Jim, can, can people be saved during the tribulation? My answer is yes, but it is very difficult. Because scripture says even the elect could be deceived during that time. So listen to me. If you're banking on getting saved during the tribulation, there will be such a great deception that takes place that somehow that those of us that have been raptured out I believe that technology, the way we can just touch it in a moment and get across the world, there will be this story concocted somehow that sounds ludicrous that anyone would ever believe that people left the earth were Christians. So please, don't dare wait to the tribulation to trust in Jesus Christ. So we have, after that, those who are Christ followers go to what we understand as the Bema seat. We are judged. So we have the seven years of tribulation. At the end of the seven years of tribulation, Matthew 25, another judgment takes place. 
So think about these judgments. Let's back it up. Let's be, try to be as good students as we can with God's word. We have the faith judgment when you die. You're saved or unsaved. You have the end of the tribulation. You have the bimatas judgment, which is judgment seat of Christ for believers. We're judged for our works. We're going to talk about that in weeks ahead. Now, at the end of this time, we next judgment that comes up is this incredible judgment called the, the judgment of the sheep and the goats. People have often asked me, what's the difference between the sheep and the goats judgment and the great white throne judgment? The sheep and the goats judgment are those that are judged at the end of the tribulation. There will be some that make it through. There will be some that die, most die. And he'll say, you're a sheep, you know me, enter into the intermediate heaven. You don't know me, you're a goat. I'm throwing you into what is eventually hell. So that judgment takes place. So keep in mind, after that judgment, there's the, the second coming of Jesus. It's the battle of Armageddon. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, and look at verses 11 through 21. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 21. It says this, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is what? What is it? The word of God. Verse 14, the armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. I believe that is us who are Christ followers, following behind on white horses. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has written this name, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then Verse 17, and I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals and mighty horses and the riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. I'll cover more in the weeks ahead, but picture this. This battle is so vicious. Satan and his cohorts People who, who don't know Jesus Christ will be so obliterated that literally the birds of the air will eat their flesh and Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords and us following with him will reign victoriously in Jesus' name. Verse 19, then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider and the horse and his army. But the beast was what? What's it say? And with his false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf, with the signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast, which is six, six, six. The two of them were thrown, how? What were they? Alive into the fiery lake of What? burning sulfur as we understand hell. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And by the way, who is that? Jesus Christ. 
He finally gets vengeance. And all the birds gorged themselves on the flesh. Finally, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Amen? That's the picture we have here. That's at the ends of that time. The millennial reign begins, the kingdom of God that we understand, the thousand-year reign. Satan is bound, and Satan is released at the end of this time. And eventually, he's thrown into the same fiery pit. In fact, it's good to read that. Turn to Revelation chapter 20 and look at verses 7 to 9. Here's Satan's final destination. Revelation 20 verses 7 to 9. When the thousand years are what? What's it say? Over, Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations thinking he'll be able to. The four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and gather them for a battle. And number there like the sand on the seashore, which is thousands and hundreds of thousands of unsaved people. They march across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of whose people? So, and the city he loves. So just picture, he thinks he's going to win. He's got thousands and hundreds of thousands of them. They're surrounding God's camp during the millennial reign, just like as vicious as can be, thinking, we finally are going to do this. But what does the word of God say? It says, but fire came down from heaven and did what to them? devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning what? Sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And listen, here, this, this is good news. How long will they be there? Satan and his cohorts will be there and tormented day and night for how long? Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Is it any wonder Satan is on a bent to deceive? Why? Listen, he's probably a better student of the Bible than most Christians are. He's read his ending. And listen, you can't change what God has written in the word of God. He will be thrown into the lake of fire and burn forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. So this millennial reign will take place. And then there's a great white throne judgment at the end of that. Revelation 20. How do you know, Pastor Jim? Well, what's the word of God say? Look at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. And another book was open, which is called the book of what? The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person who's unsaved was judged according to what they had done. And at the end of this, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the destination for someone who doesn't know Christ. Listen to me, please. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, trust in him today. So what happens to us who are Christ followers? 
we go to this place called the eternal state, the new heavens and the new earth. We spend the rest of eternity with Jesus Christ. How do I know? Revelation chapter 21. Let's just look and see what it says. Look at verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and they will be their God. Now, hold on a second. When is this? It's after the thousand-year millennial reign. It's after Satan is thrown in the fire. It's after Haiti is thrown into the lake of fire. It's the only thing that's left are Christians and Christ followers. And then it says this, after all that, this is important because I'm going to go to this in a second. Revelation 21 and verse 4. He will wipe away every what from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. But listen, and I'm going to show you, up to that time, there still is mourning. Up to that time, there still is pain. And I'm going to show you that I believe that those who have passed on still feel the pain and the grief of knowing what's taking place with their loved ones on earth. Jude chapter 1 in verse 22 and 23 is so important. Just one book back. Jude chapter 1, only one chapter. And in 22 and 23, he was a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. And he reminds us in Jude 1, 22 today. Be merciful to those who doubt. Verse 23 of Jude 1, 23. Save others by snatching them from the what? Fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. It's so important that we reach out to people who don't know Christ and snatch them from the fire because there are no second decisions once you die. Okay. Where are people right now? What are they doing? What are your loved ones doing? The ones that you love. Philippians 1.21 reminds us this. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And it says that we will be with Jesus in the presence of Jesus. There must be some kind of bodily form. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, I memorized in the King James, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we die, your loved one, when they die, to be absent from the body, the body, they're absent from the body, there's the body. To be absent from there is to be in the presence of the Lord. Somehow we're in the presence of the Lord. We are with him. Jesus on the cross, when, when the thief responded in Luke 23, 43, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Abraham sighed, the intermediate heaven. So how do you explain that? Intermediate heaven, heaven, eternal state. Let me try to explain it this way. If you've ever been on a missions trip and you've flown your destination, I'll give you an example. We're flying to Cambodia to visit our children, our rescued orphan kids. We get on a flight in Chicago. We board the flight. We often land in Korea. So we get off the jet in Korea. And even though we're in Korea, if someone would say, hey, where are you going? You don't say, I'm going to Korea. 
You say, I'm going to Cambodia. It's, a, it's the intermediate step to get you to the final destination. And right now when you die, your spirit is in the presence of Jesus in an intermediate, we understand as Abraham, some would say bosom, Abraham's side, paradise, intermediate heaven. That's where they're at. They're in the presence of Jesus. I believe that we are conscious during that time. And we must have some kind of temporary body because our bodies don't join us until the rapture occurs. So bring it home, my dad. His body's in the grave. Like if you were to go there, my my dad's body's there. But when he died, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But does he have some kind of bodily form or is he the spirit? Now let me just do some... I would say some Bible logic. There has never been a time when a human being resided without a body. When God created man, what did he create first? He created the body. And then he did what with the body? (sighs) Breathed a spirit into it. There's never been a time that the body wasn't created first. I personally believe, and I'm going to show you from Scripture, that I believe there's this temporarily bodily form that your loved one, my dad, has right now in the intermediate heaven, recognizable. In fact, a person much smarter than me said something, wrote something about this intermediate state in the body. Just listen to what he had to say. He said, we do not receive resurrection bodies immediately after death. Resurrection is not at one at a time. If we have intermediate forms in the intermediate heaven, they won't be our true bodies which have died. Continuity is only between our original and resurrection bodies. If we are given intermediate forms, they are at best temporary vessels, comparable to the human appearing bodies that angels sometimes take on. Let me just pause here. Hebrews chapter 13 says, be aware, you might entertain angels in disguise. I'm going to share a story that I best believe the experience that I met was an angel dressed in human form. Read on. He says this then, he said, if we are given intermediate forms, they are at best temporary, distinct from our true bodies, which remain dead until after the resurrection. If Christ's body in the intermediate heaven had physical properties, it stands to reason that others in heaven might have physical forms as well, even if they are only temporary ones. So what do I believe from Scripture and the deduction of Scripture? I believe that those have passed that know Christ have a temporary body. Why do I believe that? At the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, 28 to 46. Jesus is at the Mount of Transfiguration. There's three other guys, James, John, and Peter. And then there's two other guys that show up who had already died in the Old Testament. There's no way they could have been alive. We know that they died, Moses and Elijah. And there's this picture that... Peter, James, and John are with Jesus. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. It's where there was, the light was so bright and the counts was so bright on Jesus that, that barely they could look around at him. And when Moses and Elijah, who had been 
Elijah resurrected Moses who had died had been, that had taken many, many years before. When they showed up, Peter, James, and John, listen, the only way they knew who they were is they must have recognized the body because I'll guarantee you that Moses and Elijah didn't walk in with name tags on. Hey, Moses, I'm Elijah. There was a recognizable, and here's why I believe it was a bodily form. What did Peter say in that passage? Peter says, Jesus, do you want me to build them a shelter? Do you want me to build three huts for Moses and Elijah and you? Why would you build a hut for a spirit unless there was a bodily form there? So I believe there's a bodily form that people have. I also believe that, that people who have passed on at no Christ are fully aware of what's happening on earth. God knows what's happening on earth, yet it doesn't diminish heaven for him. Okay, I'm gonna show you something. Maybe it'll be new for you. It was for me this week. It was so good. Turn to Luke chapter 15. I have read this account numerous times. I have enjoyed it and still do. Luke chapter 15. Jesus gives three parables. He gives a parable about the lost sheep, the 99 and the one. Go find, let the 99 behind. Go after the one. He gives the parable of the lost coin. He says, hey, you need to find an unsaved person. Turn the house upside down. And he gives the parable we understand as the prodigal son who leaves. And when they find the coin, when the lost person is found, there's a celebration. But I want you to look carefully, maybe for the first time. Luke chapter 15 and verse 10 says this. Please, please look here. This is so important. In the same way, Jesus says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the what of the angels? Of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I'll back away and say what I have often interpreted. I have often said that the angels in heaven rejoice when a sinner repents. But what does that passage say? There is rejoicing in the what of the angels? Presence. And of God. Listen, who else is there? Us. We're standing here. Those of us who passed on. My dad and your brother and your sister and your mom and grandfather and friend and, 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 and sister and brother and, and co-worker. What are they doing? It's not the angels that are necessarily celebrating. It says there's celebrating in the presence. Who's doing the celebrating? We are. There's got to be people there. I just love that picture. Like, and why are they there? Because someone told him, someone got saved. They are fully aware. Like they're not, you don't come to a party and say, cheer. What am I cheering about? Someone got saved. They are fully aware of what's happening on earth. I believe they grieve. I believe there's mourning that takes place with those. Why do you say it, Pastor Jim? Well, here's why I believe that. Because the wiping of the tears and the mourning and grieving doesn't take place until after the millennial reign. Why do I believe they grieve? When Jesus saw Saul, he was persecuted. He says, Saul, before he came, Paul, why do you persecute me? He was grieved. He was hurt by that. God looks down on earth. We can too. And we can grieve and mourn without sinning. If Jesus feels sorrow, why wouldn't we? Aren't we created in his image? 
going into the presence of Jesus would never make us feel less compassionate, would it? It would make us feel more compassionate. You see, we sometimes quote that every tear will be wiped away and there'll be no more mourning, grieving, or pain, but that doesn't happen until the eternal state. How about this? Are they able to continue to pray? Are, are your loved ones, like, for instance, I'll just bring it home to my dad, makes it real. Is he able to go to Jesus? Is dad able to go and say, hey, hey, Jesus, my sister doesn't know the Lord and I want to spend eternity with her. Can my dad go there right now? Can your dad, can your mother, can your father, can your grandmother, can, who knows Christ, can they go and still pray? Say, Jesus, please save their soul. Please, Jesus, please. I believe they can. Why? Because Revelation chapter 6, the whole chapter, it's the picture of the martyrs. Martyrs are people who died for Christ. They're under this altar and they're crying out and begging God, do something about what's happening on earth. They're praying out. I personally believe that those who have passed on that are in this temporary body can go right to Jesus and continue to pray. I personally believe that grandmothers and grandfathers who have died, who have prayed for loved ones, and and I believe that they're still aware that they're unsaved. And I believe they're going day after. And I believe because James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's the King James. I believe that, that, that fervent prayers make a difference. And you can't get more fervent than a perfect person standing before God. So I believe there's more prayers answered in heaven than there were on earth. I believe they remember things on earth. How did these saints under the altar know that they were martyrs? (laughs) And why were they calling for judgment on these people? Because they remembered what happened to them. I believe that your loved one still remembers you. If they remember that, there is no reason to think that they will forget other aspects of earthly lives. Besides, think about this, just purely logic. We will most likely remember more in heaven than we do on earth. Amen. As I get older, our mind is perfect. I believe we'll be able to see where angels have intervened. We'll get snapshots of that. And people have often asked me, a little sidebar here, do we have guardian angels? Do you know where you would even look in scripture to say that's true? Do you know where you would say, yeah, here it is. Well, let me show you where. I say we do. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10. Do we have guardian angels? You bet we do. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10. Look at Matthew 18 and verse 10. Jesus says this. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, children. Verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, which are children. For I tell you that they're what in heaven? Come on, come on, help me, church. For I tell you that they're what in heaven? Always see the face of my Father in heaven. We have guardian angels that go before us. Memory is a basic element of personality. Why in the world would God take our memory away from us? Our God has memory and we're created in his image. Why would there be memory lapses in heaven? There must be a continuity of memory. 
by the way, happiness in heaven is not based on ignorance. It's based on perspective. So you might say, how can they remember something that happened and not have an evil thought? And, and how, can they have, how can they look down and see something that's horrible and not sin? Because the old sin nature doesn't go with them. So what did I say today to you? This has been a great encouragement for me too. We can relax and enjoy and rejoice in the Lord for those who have passed in his presence of Jesus because they are much better off. Our parting is not the end of the relationship with this person. It's only an interruption. We have not lost them. We know exactly where they are. I didn't lose my dad. I know where he's at. He's in the presence of the living God and he's more alive and well than he's ever been. And that's our gift that we anticipate. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 18, it says, therefore, encourage each other with these words that there will be a day when there's this loud command, this voice of an archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And those who are still alive and left on earth will join them in the air. And that is us. Encourage one another with those words. So this life matters. Listen to me today. Jesus is the answer. There's not one work that'll save you. It's trusting in the the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. It's saying, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I will be saved. Oh Lord, I pray that we would walk out of here in courage, not only just for what happens to us, but encourage enough to share the good news and invite others. Because how would they know unless a messenger is sent and how would they know unless a message is given that Jesus is the way? It matters how we live. The decisions, God, that we make on this side of eternity impact our future forever. So I pray, God, that we will decide to follow you and you only, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.